Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled, We Never Know Where Walking in His Steps Will Lead, was given on August 26, 1979, by Von J. Featherstone, then a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Brothers and sisters, I'm very, very pleased to be with you today. Some time back, I recollect the story of a very uh, voracious reader, a woman, who had a study filled with books, and each night she would come home and read from books in her library. Uh, She always finished every book she read, and one night she came to a particularly uh, interesting crossroads. She had decided that she would read a book that she had been particularly avoiding. Finally, she picked the book up and sat down and began to read, and it was very dull and uninteresting, but she had made a promise she would never read a book she didn't finish. She continued night after night until several days later when she finally turned the back cover of the book, took it back and placed it on the shelf and made this mental note to herself. That was the dullest book I have ever read in my life. Sometime later, she was out with a gentleman friend, and after dinner, they started talking, and he asked her if she had ever read such and such a book. The mental note came back, that was the dullest book I have ever read in my life. She said, yes, why? He said, I wrote it. Then then they talked about the book. Finally, that evening about midnight, when he dropped her off, she went into her study, pulled the same book off of the bookshelf, and read through the long hours of the night. And when the first streaks of sunlight shafted across the sky, she closed the back cover on the book, placed it back again in its place on the bookshelf, and made another mental note to herself that was the most beautiful book I have ever read in my life. The difference was that she knew the author. In the 45th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord said, Hearken, O ye people of my church, hearken ye, and give ear to him who laid the foundations of the earth, and who made the heavens on all the host thereof, and by whom all things were made which live and move and have a being. And again I say, Hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you, In an hour when ye think not, the summer shall be past, the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. And then he goes on to say, Listen to him who is your advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him whom thou gavest, the blood of him who was shed, that thyself might be glorified. Wherefore, Father, spare these thy brethren who believe on my name and come unto me, that they might have everlasting life. We can know the author and everlastingly, and so much is at uh, stake whether or not we know him. I'm thrilled today with the subject matter. I suppose in my limited schooling, the subject of Jesus Christ touches greatest on my learning. I know more and have read more and served more in his cause than anything else that I have done in my life. I suppose it touches on the greatest degree of my learning. And so I'm thrilled with this assignment to discuss with you my feelings about him and my relationship to him. 
Something else I'd like to share with you is the men I love most and the men I admire most and respect most also seem to have their lives most nearly entwined in his, and they model the things which he has taught. I suppose President Spencer W. Kimball, being the measure in our generation of the perfect man, truly a man of Christ. Now, last night, at a late hour as I was studying, I had a thought come to me that has passed by me many, many times, and I would like to share it with you. We oftentimes quote from the poet, a poor wayfaring man of grief. And when we quote this, we relate it back to the martyrdom and the prophet Joseph in his life, or we may relate it to a great saint in this day who has lived that kind of life. But the poet really was talking about a certain poor wayfaring man of grief. And this morning, in light of the thought of the poet, would you back go, go back with me again and rehearse it? He said, a poor wayfaring man of grief hath often crossed me on my way, who sued so humbly for relief that I could never, never answer nay. I had not power to ask his name, whither he went or whence he came, but there was something in his eye that won my love. I knew not why. Once, when my scanty meal was spread, he entered, not a word he spake, just perishing from want of bread. I gave him all, he blessed it break, and gave me part again. Mine was an angel's portion then, for while I fed with eager haste, the crust was manna to my taste. I spied him where a fountain burst clear from the rock. His strength was gone. The heedless water mocked his thirst. He heard it, saw it hurrying on. I ran and raised the sufferer up. Thrice from the stream he drained my cup, dipped and returned it running o'er. I drank and never thirsted more. Twas night, the flood was out. It blew a winter hurricane aloof. I heard his voice abroad and flew and bid him welcome to my roof. I warmed and clothed and cheered my guest. I laid him on my couch to rest and made the earth my bed and seemed in Eden's garden, as I dreamed. Stripped, wounded, beaten, nigh to death, I found him by the highway side. I roused his pulse, brought back his breath, revived his spirit, and supplied wine, oil, refreshment. He was healed. I had myself a wound concealed, but from that hour forgot the smart, and peace bound up my broken heart. In prison I saw him next, condemned a traitor's doom at morn. The tide of lying tongues I stemmed. I honored him mid shame and scorn. My friendship's utmost zeal to try, he asked if I for him would die. The flesh was weak, my blood ran chill, but the free spirit cried, I will. Then in a moment to my view, the stranger started from disguise. The tokens in his hands I knew, the Savior stood before mine eyes. He spake, and my poor name he named, Of me thou hast not been ashamed, These deeds shall thy memorial be. Fear not, thou didst them unto me. We need to occasionally go back and think about his life and all that transpired. And I suppose more beautiful than the words of the poet 
are the words from the prophets. And Alma said, And behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers. She being a virgin, a precious and a chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. Now would you listen to these words and think about a poor wafering man of grief? And he shall go forth, suffering pains and affliction and temptations of every kind. And this, that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, He shall take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. And he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death which bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh that he might, might take upon him the sins of his people, that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of his deliverance. And now, behold, this is the testimony which is in him. And then the prophet Nephi and now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a per perfect brightness of hope, and a love of God of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way, nor none other name given under heaven, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of God, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God, without end. And then finally, I think, as the prophet Nephi concluded the last verses he, in Second Nephi, he said, And now, my beloved brethren, and also Jew, and ye ends of the earth, hearken unto these words, and believe in Christ. And if ye believe not in these words, believe in Christ. And if ye shall believe in Christ, ye will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ, and he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men to do good. And now, my beloved brethren, all those who are of the house of Israel, and all ye ends of the earth, I speak to you as one with a voice of one crying in the dust, farewell until that great day shall come. And you that will not partake of the goodness of God and respect the words of the Jews and also my words and the words which shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the Lamb of God, behold, I bid you an everlasting farewell for these words shall condemn you at the last day. For what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. For thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. What great words are the words of Nephi.
Now, I suppose not only has the major part of my learning touched upon the life of, of the Savior, as mentioned, having read hundreds of books and thousands of hours have been performed in his service, and although few men would truly be qualified to speak about him, know that as limited as I am, my concern, my interest, my commitment, my love could not possibly be greater. I suppose to really examine his life, we'd have to share I suppose, some of my personal feelings and some of the things which I feel so keenly about him. I have wondered about the men who have enlisted their hearts and souls to his cause. What manner of man, indeed, could enlist in the very beginning the man Adam, who, after he was driven out of the Garden of Eden, built an altar and offered sacrifice? And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam and said, Adam, why dost thou offer sacrifice? And this great soul, in a formula that all of us ought to understand, simply said, I know not, save the Lord hath commanded me. And then the angel spake, saying, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten. Therefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son of God. And thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son of God forevermore. I suppose we find the formula, and had we no further scriptures than that simple verse, we would have the pattern for living, and yet we oftentimes need much more. Now, we could consider Enoch, who was slow of speech and only a lad, and all of the people hated him, and he became a wild man, as it were, and as has been described in the scriptures. And, and Enoch beheld the heavens weep, and he cried to the Lord, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing thou art from all eternity to all eternity? And were it possible to number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations. And thy heavens are stretched out still, and thou art merciful, and thou art just, and thou art kind forever. Wherefore, how is it that thou canst weep? And then God let Enoch behold all of the myriads of souls who walked upon the earth. And he beheld their wickedness, and he beheld the misery of all of those. And then finally, after Enoch, having had the privilege of seeing these through his spiritual eyes, with the discernment of even God, he see, cried out. It said that his, he, his heart swelled wide as eternity. He stretched forth his arms, his bowels yearned, and all eternity shook. I believe there have been a few times when Occasionally, we don't feel quite to that degree and magnitude, but we feel something akin to it, where our souls are so filled with love, we understand. And so we, we catch from Enoch the prophet a dimension we normally wouldn't have, heart and soul enlisted to the cause of the Master. And Moses, also, after he had beheld the same things, all of the things that pertain to this life, and every soul who had walked the earth, who was walking the earth at that time, or who would walk the earth, and after the vision had de departed from Moses, and he was left unto himself, he said, Now I perceive that man is nothing, which thing I never would have supposed. Well, man is something. 
And I suppose if we could have looked through the eyes of Moses and seen all of these things, millions, yea, billions of souls who had walked the earth, we may, with Moses, have cried out, Now I suppose that man is nothing. Those kinds of things help me to understand him. I believe when I, when I read again the words of uh, Daniel in, in the chapter where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of the Hebrew officers, those who were in the councils, and after King Nebuchadnezzar had built the, the marvelous, I suppose, golden image, 20, 20 score cubits high, in other words, about, or three score cubits high, about 60, 90 feet high and nine feet across, and he placed it in the plains of Dury and then had all of his officers and governors and counselors and, and sheriffs and all of those who held, I suppose, any position of worth at this dedication. And then he had his herald proclaim, be it known to all of you, and then he pronounced who they were who were there. He said, if it so be, when you hear the cornet and the harp and the uh, sackbut and the psaltery and the dulcimer, and all of the musical instruments sound, if it so be that you will bow down before this golden image, then well with you. But if not, in that same hour, you will be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And so the cornet and the flute and the harp and the sackbut and the psaltery were, were sounded, and all of those who were there bowed down before the golden image. And then finally, three of those or others who were jealous of these three Hebrew lads came to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, O king, live forever. And then they went on to tell King Nebuchadnezzar that there were three who, when these musical instruments sounded, would not bow down before God, before these gods, nor worship the golden image, and would not accept them. And King Nebuchadnezzar was wroth, and he had these three young men brought before him. And then in the wrath of his heart, he said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if at the time ye hear the sound of the cornet, cornet and the flute and the harp and the sackbut and the psaltery and so forth, and all of the music, musical instruments sounded, if ye will bow down before the golden image, then well. But if not, in that same hour ye shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Now can you comprehend what is taking place? Here are these three young Hebrew fine prophet lads and this kind of pressure put on them, I mean not just a little bit of pressure where it's a temptation or something, but really life hanging in the balance. And so they responded in this manner, O king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. For if it so be, our God can deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us. And then here it is. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, we will not bow down and worship the golden image. And in that selfsame hour, the furnaces were heated seven times more than they were wont to be heated. And men, the mightiest men, were bound in, in robes and hosen so that they might uh, not perish in the flames. And even as they cast in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the burning fiery furnace, they perished in the flames. It was so hot. And then you recall that Nebuchadnezzar some way could see inside the furnace, and he said, Were there not three? And I see a fourth who is likened unto the Son of God. I believe for someone to have that kind of an influence 
over three young men, as he does over my life and your lives, there must be something that is substantial that we can anchor our souls to. We think of Peter and, and Thomas and the declaration, so often, Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Thomas, let us also go that we may also die with him. I appreciate that. And the prophet Joseph and Hiram, Willard Richards, John Taylor, and others whose lives hung in the balance and then to have Willard Richards say to the prophet Joseph, Joseph, if you're condemned to die, I will die in your place. And Joseph said, knowing something that even many did not know at that time, but Willard, you cannot do that. And Willard Richards said, yes, Joseph, but I will. I think it helps us to understand the kind of man enlisted not only in the service of Joseph and the prophets, but also in the greater work of the master. I think of the present Kimballs, whose total life, open heart surgery, heart attack, Bell's palsy, throat surgery, and yet probably the youngest man in the church, whose whole life is given to service. I'm just impressed with President Benson, who in a great area conference in, in uh, Sweden, three or four years back, stood up and as a prophet would, declared to the leaders and the kings and the presence of nations in that faraway European countries that they should accept the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. And that's what you'd expect a prophet of God to do. Now, along with all of these things, I would like to suggest to you there are certain places when we walk in his footsteps that we wouldn't suppose life would ever lead us. And yet so often they have. Let me share with you just a few of the places where walking in his steps have led me. I remember one Christmas Eve not too many years back when I went to sit in the home of a little widow in our ward and spend a few moments with her, probably 30 or 40 minutes, and to have her discuss with me the things that were on her heart that lonely Christmas Eve, and then to receive a little jar of jelly from her as I prepared to depart, and uh, then find out a few months later that she was in a rest home to drop by occasionally and visit her there, and then, and again, in just a few short months after that, to be privileged to speak at her funeral. Now, I suppose there are, are great acts like that performed outside of the church. I suppose the greater act maybe have been hers, you see, because she gave me something that I wouldn't have had elsewise. I suppose it would be visiting the colony at Kalapapa on the island of Molokai and being privileged to take the leprous little hands of the lepers, cup them in your hands and look into their eyes and see again a response, a spiritual response. A place, again, had I not been in the service of the master, I would not have had that beautiful experience. I suppose it would be taking one to track meets, to wrestling matches, to ball games, to swimming meets, searchingly, everlastingly for the one, not because track was so important or wrestling was so important, but that the one who was involved upon which all of my attentions were focused was there, and he was very supremely important, or she was. I suppose it's been 
the privilege of standing by men and women and children in dire poverty whose lives were committed to him, to see them feed the missionaries when all of the food they had in the house was on the table and what little ever was left over would go to the children. And if there were none left, the children would have none. Those kinds of experiences, just totally trusting that theirs was an act of Christianity, one which they could not deny to, to feed the Lord's servants. I've seen his teachings reflected in our day. We so often read about the widow and her placing into the treasury her might, I suppose bitterly embarrassed as she did it for fear that there was so such a little bit given. And yet I saw the widow come before the bishop and at tithing settlement say, that is my full tithing. $55. Her income then would have been 550 to pay her taxes and her food, to take care of her phone bill, her lights, her heat, other contributions to the church, $550. And then you take the 55 off and you're down to 495 And with a sweet, humble attitude, that's all there was, Bishop, but it is a full tithing. And we talk about poverty, what, at the $4,500 level and now $7,500? I'm not certain we understand. There are those who have poverty of the soul and those who have poverty of the spirit and those who are rich with the spirit as this sweet sister that I recollect. We talk about the woman who had an issue of blood, 12 years, suffering every single day, having gone to many physicians, having spent all of her money and was none the better, in fact, was even worse. And then in desperation, finding out that he, Jesus, would be in the streets and watching as he came by, and I'm sure pushing herself through the multitude, thinking in her heart, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Pushing herself through the crowd and finally reaching out and touching his garment and being healed, the blood was staunched. The Savior stopped and said, who touched me? And the master said, what do you mean who, or the disciple said, what do you mean who touched you? There are all these people thronging around. And he turned around and looking on the, the body of people nearby him, undoubtedly noting that this woman stood out as though she were a light globe, feeling guilty, I'm sure I should have asked, if I read correctly between the lines, coming and kneeling down before him and simply confessing, I believe, Lord, it was I. And then for him to say, Woman, thy faith hath made thee whole. I love him for that. But I, lo I love him for other things. I love him for a phone call from Idaho and a little couple who had just had twins, premature. One of them was doing fairly well and the other was brought into the University of Utah Medical Center. Just a little over a pound and a quarter. Think of five cubes of butter, if you would. And you're talking about the size of this little soul. And to have a call, he has been administered to, but would you mind dropping by the hospital and giving him a blessing? We'd like to have that done. And we're, not, we're up here in Idaho. Would you please do it? Finding about the only hour available that particular day was at 5 in the morning to drop up at the University of Utah Medical Center a little after 5 to go in and find the canopy the oxygen canopy, and to take my fingers, all that would fit on the forehead of this little soul, 
and giving a blessing and having the impression from God that one day, six foot tall, 200 pounds, this boy would be a young ambassador for the Lord. Those kinds of experiences. It may have been when I left a conference and on the way out to the airport for a sweet family of members who had contacted a non-member man who was having severe problems to see if we would give him a blessing. We dropped by the home to find an apartment in a condominium kind of a complex or a large apartment house complex. In the house, in the living room, two pieces of furniture, a bean bag and a stereo set. Nothing more in that entire living room. A little girl, nine, taking care of her father because the mother, when she heard that her husband had cancer, abandoned him and left the nine-year-old girl and probably a seven or eight-year-old boy. She said, I don't think my father's expecting you. I don't think he's expecting anyone. And we said, would you please go ask him? And so she went in the bedroom and the minute she came out and she said, yes, he is expecting you. Would you please come in? And she took us down the hallway into his room. And here on the bottom bunk of two bunks, we saw this man, six foot tall, 67 pounds. We administered to him, feeling he would not live, but the thing that would be of most worth to him, that his son and daughter would be protected, that angels would walk through this life with them, that they'd be protected when he wasn't there to do it any longer. I suppose those kinds of experiences you couldn't buy from those of us who have been involved in them, and all of us have, for all of the money in the world. I think it's seeing, as I had the privilege of being involved in, a young man whose father uh, uh, had, had received the word that while they were up hiking in the lower foothills up near Cody, Wyoming, that uh, these two young men, one of them jumped across a high power line that was down and the other one got tangled in it, was electrocuted. And the other friend turned and ran all the way back down to where the father lived, and it wasn't a short distance, and told him that his son had been electrocuted and that he was dead. And the father, who was not a young man, running all the way back up, taking about 15 minutes and getting up where the boy was lying across the wires, in some way removing the wires from the boy or the boy from the wires with a board or a large stick, and then picking his son up in his arms and holding him and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, and by the power and authority of the holy Melchizedek priesthood, I command you to live. And the dead boy opened up his eyes in his father's arms and was taken to the University of Utah Medical Center for a blessing. I believe it's those kinds of experiences as we walk through this life with him. I believe it's also the miracle of forgiveness. The couple that drove all the way from one of the central California stakes came to my office and said, we just need a half an hour with you. At conference, you mentioned that every single major transgression must be confessed. And Monday after conference, she said, he said, my wife and I were sitting at home on Monday family home evening and not a word had been spoken. And then my wife said to me, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And she said, yes, I think I am. Or he said, yes, I think I am. And uh, she said, how soon should we leave? And he said, why not right now? And so they climbed in their car and they drove the 16 hours to the church office building. And they said, we have come to confess a major transgression. 43 years ago, before we were married, we committed fornication once. 
My father was the bishop of the ward, and so he didn't ask us the questions. Our temple recommends were signed. We went to the stake present. He saw them signed. He didn't ask the questions. We went to the temple unworthily. And then while we were out on our honeymoon, we decided we would make that up to the Lord, that we would give every particle of energy all of our lives to repent, that he couldn't ask us to do anything we wouldn't do. We'd pay more than our share of tithing and more than our share of building fund, that we would go forth and really serve. We wouldn't go to the temple that next year because we weren't worthy. Almost a self-imposed repentance kind of thing. And he said, we've done that. And I've been a bishop and I've been on two high councils. And my wife has been stake relief society president for six years. And he said, we know, know, know now, and I guess we have known all along, although we know we've repented, that we still had to confess. Now, normally we send them back to their bishops or stake presidents. They don't have to come to us. Every, every single member of the church has a priesthood leader. And so uh, he confessed that, and then he had his wife come in and confess it. And the general authorities are common judges. And so I just called President Kimball on the phone, and I said, President Kimball, I have this lovely couple in my office. And I explained to him what I've just explained to you about this couple. I said, I feel like they've, they've repented, and would you feel all right if I'd exercise my common judgeship and just simply close this for these two wonderful people so they would not have to drive the 16 hours back to, to uh, California and then go through this experience again? He said, are they still in your office? And I said, yes. He said, would you bring them right up? Well, I know that it shocked me. And I hung up the phone, I, or I said, yes. And then I hung up the phone. And then I said to them, President Kimball would like to see you in his office right now. And the blood just drained from their faces. I took them up to the 25th floor where his office was at that time. We walked back to the, the reception area, back to Arthur Haycock's office. And as we got to Arthur Haycock's office, he said, the president is expecting you. And the president got up from his desk and came to the door. And he met us at the door. <clears throat> I introduced him to this lovely couple. And I said, president, I need not stay. I'll run downstairs. And when you're finished, call me. I'll come right back up and, and get them. He said, Bishop, I want you to come in too. I went into his office and along with the couple, we sat down in front of his desk and he went around behind the desk and then he visited with them as tenderly and sweetly about the, the things that he had in his office for three or four minutes. And then he turned to the man and he said, uh, Bishop Featherstone has told me about this condition. He said, uh, have you suffered equal to the transgression? In other words, it's been a major transgression. Have you suffered? And the tears came to his eyes, and he said, President, we think we've suffered many times more. He said, have you prayed for forgiveness? And the man said, I have prayed for forgiveness, and my wife has. We haven't offered a prayer in 43 years that we haven't asked for forgiveness. And then let me digress here just to say this. Do you know the president of the church is the only man on the face of the earth who can actually forgive on behalf of the Lord? And President Kimball said, I never use it unless I really know. And the rest of us who are common judges forgive on behalf of the church as the Lord's agents. And so as he talked to them and counseled them, he said, finally, would you feel all right if I'd come around and kneel down and have a prayer with you? He came around behind his desk, and the couple knelt here, and we knelt facing the couple. And then President Kimball offered the prayer and said these words in the very beginning, Heavenly Father, we love thee. And he said, we love thee in a word I've never, in a way I've never heard it said before. 
Tears came to my eyes and streamed down my cheeks, and I could hear them dropping on the carpet, and they sounded like thunder, to me at least. He went through the rest of prayer, and I understood a little better than what an advocate is, because he pled for this couple. He felt like they'd repented, but he needed to know. And then finally, as he concluded his prayer, he stood up. He came over, he put his arm through my arm and pulled me close to him and asked me a question. Do you know I don't know what the question was? I never answered it. All I know is I turned to him with tears in my eyes and I said, President Kimball, I love you. And I did. Every particle of my heart and soul loved the man, President Kimball. And then he went over to this man and he said to him as he, held, as he shook his hand, I want you to forgive yourself and I want you to forgive your wife. And I don't want you ever to think about it again. You are forgiven. And the man put his head down on President Kimball's shoulder and sobbed. In a few moments, President Kimball walked over to the woman, took both of her hands in his, and he said, I want you to forgive your husband, and I want you to forgive yourself. I want you to never think ab about it again. You are forgiven. No, I couldn't have had that experience, except I had tried to walk in his footsteps. And every one of you who have had similar experiences have had them because you have tried to walk in his steps. Who would forget the Canaanite woman who cried incessantly after the Savior as he traveled between Sidon and Tyre and the disciples with him. And finally the disciples saying to the Master, send her away for she crieth after us. And the Savior, then not addressing the woman, but rather the disciples, said, I am not but sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then the woman, knowing that she was they were talking about her, mind you, the Canaanite woman, ran to him. And I suppose, again, if I can read correctly, probably knelt down before him, maybe even taking his knees and laying her cheeks up against his or looking up into his face, and pleading for her daughter, who was grievously vexed with the devil, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then the Lord said something that at the time seemed so harsh. It is not meet that we should take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Now she could have stood up and said, I'm not a dog, and I have some pride too, you know. And she could have worked her way away from the group. But she taught us one of the greatest lessons in humility, there's no question in my mind except that the Savior knew exactly what her response would be. She said, Yea, Lord, but even the dogs feed of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Woman, go thy way, thy daughter is healed. The blessing was granted. I suppose those kinds of experiences. And then we find also when the Savior taught some extremely hard doctrine that the disciples, two by two, began to veer off, and they never walked again with him. And finally, all that was left were the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles. And he said to them, I think maybe almost with a heavy heart, will ye also go away? And this great Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and art sure that thou art that Christ the Son of the living God. Indeed, would you think about that? To whom shall we go if not to him? Where in all the world 
In whom could we put our trust? Where could we find the peace that surpasseth understanding? Where, when we've gone to the very limit, to the mountain too high and too wide and too deep in the earth to get across, where can we go when we need to be on the other side except to him? Now, I suppose as we think how this affects you and me, well, we need to live a Christ-like life. President Harold B. Lee said, I came to a night yet some years ago when upon my bed I realized if I would be worthy of the high place to which I had been called, I must love and forgive every soul that walks the earth. And in that hour, I came to a peace and an understanding and a direction and an inspiration that told me things to come which I knew were from a divine source. I wonder if in that hour he didn't know that one day he would be the prophet, seer, and revelator of this church. And then also, I think like him, we must love and forgive every soul that walks the earth. A wayward son, a husband, a wife, maybe a divorced former companion, maybe someone who has offended us bitterly. If we would be Christ-like, we must love and forgive every soul that walks the earth. And then are we entitled to that peace? Now, we also find the answer when the Lord said in three parables, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hidden in a field, that when a certain man findeth, he hideth it, and for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath, and returneth and buyeth the field. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a goodly merchant, who buying and selling goodly pearls finds one pearl of great price, and goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net, cast into the sea, that bringeth forth of every kind, and the good are placed in vessels, and the rest are cast off. Now, James E. Talmage says that the cost is always the same. For every single one of us, as we accept Christ and Him crucified, the cost everlastingly and always will be the same is simply all we have. And if we're going to be truly his disciples, it could never be less than all we have. And so we, we say, I'll go so far, and that's all the farther I can go, then I'm not certain that we measure up as true disciples. Listen to the words of a modern prophet, President Kimball. We extend to every listener a cordial invitation to come to the watered garden, to the shade of trees, to unchangeable truth, Come with us to sureness, security, consistency. Here the cooling waters flow. The spring does not dry. Come, listen to a prophet's voice and hear the word of God. I believe that we have in this generation those who are simply responding. The Lord said, my sheep hear my voice, and they're coming to the shade, to the watered gardens, to the cool waters. Now, one of the great poets, I suppose, William Ernest Henley, wrote a great verse entitled Invictus. And you recall in those verses, he said, Out of the night that covers me, dark as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. 
It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And then a modern apostle who saw the Savior in Gethsemane, Orson F. Whitney, said, Art thou in truth the captain of thy soul? Art thou in truth? Then what of him who bought thee with his blood, who plunged into devouring seas and snatched thee from the flood, who bore for all our fallen race what none but him could bear, the God that died that man might live in endless glory share? Of what avail thy vaunted strength apart from his vast might? Pray that his light may pierce the gloom, that thou mayest see aright. Men are as bubbles on the wave, as leaves upon the tree. Thou, captain of thy soul, forsooth, who gave that place to thee? Free will is thine, free agency, to wield for right or wrong. But thou must answer unto him to whom all souls belong. Bend to the dust that head unbowed, small part of life's great whole, and find in him and him alone the captain of thy soul. That's it. I think we need to come to the time when we find him and know that he is the captain of our soul. And if we can bend to the dust our head unbowed and accept him and strip the pride from our beings and serve his fellow men, then we walk in his steps. And then the great prophet Job wrote, Oh, that my words were written, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led forever upon the rock. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh will I see God. And then in this last day, Joseph and Sidney Rigdon, two great prophets, declared our gift to this generation. And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him, that he lives, for we saw him even on the right hand of God. And we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God. And again, in the words quoted in the beginning, hearken, O ye people of my church, hearken ye and give ear to him who laid the foundation of the world, who made the heavens and all the hosts thereof, and by whom all things which were made, which were made and live and have a being. And again, I say, hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you in an hour when you think not. The summer shall be past, the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. My prayer is that our learning and education will touch not only on the great truths of life, but more importantly, we'll focus on the life of the Master, that we might hear his voice and follow in his sacred and holy footsteps. I pray this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information.
You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.